Welcome to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. To contact Kevin Williams, send him an email, canningplus7 at protonmail.com. That's canning plus the number 7 at protonmail.com. Plus is spelled out when sending him an email. problem with cell towers, though, is they get overloaded easily. And so if you have 10,000 people, for instance, that are in an emergency that are all trying to get on the cell phone, calling 911 or their friends or relatives, um, well, then the near nearby cell towers can actually go down and become overloaded. Welcome to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams, the Blind Montana Man. Tonight I had on a guest who is a personal friend of mine, Noji Radslaff. Noji Radslaff is a ham operator in Utah County, Orem specifically, and we talked about why it is important to use a ham radio as a prepper. We talked about what happens if the internet goes down, the cell phone towers. We also talked about different modes of communication, the most popular out there right now if you are going to use the internet for emergency communications, which you can, and we talked about that in the podcast, is DMR, Digital Mobile Radio. Now, there are others out there, I know, like D-Star and a whole bunch of others, but we talked about DMR because that's the most popular right now. By the way, if you have a suggestion, feel free to email me at canningplus7 at protonmail.com. That's canningplus7 at protonmail.com. Also, I want to update you on statistics. Some of you might wonder how many listeners we have. Well, I'm not going to go over all the statistics because that would take a very long time. But I will tell you this. Here in the United States, the most listeners I have are out of Virginia at 28%. Montana, 18 Florida, 14 Utah, 7 Maine and Illinois are tied at 6%. And I'm just going to go down the list of other states that people are listening to us in because the percentage is very, very low. It's about the same when you go to the rest of the states, like Oregon, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., California, Idaho, Arkansas, Indiana, Wisconsin, Massachusetts, New York. That is New York State, New Jersey, Nevada, Colorado, Georgia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Wyoming, and Tennessee. So we're definitely picking up listeners, folks, and that's a good thing. I can tell you when I did the statistics at the beginning of Canning Plus 7, they weren't nearly as good as they are now. So we are definitely gaining listeners. I appreciate that. Feel free to tell your friends about the Canning Plus 7 podcast and go ahead and like us on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and Gab. I'm also on Twitter, although I don't post there much, at Canning Plus 7. By the way, remember, if you want to email me, it's canning, C-A-N-N-I-N-G-P-L-U-S-7 at protonmail.com. That's canning, C-A-N-N-I-N-G-P-L-U-S-7 at protonmail.com. You can also like the podcast if you want on Facebook. That is canning, C-A-N-N-I-N-G, the plus sign 7 on Facebook. Let's get on with the show. It is Thursday, January 13th, 2022. Noji Ragslap is here with me. How are you tonight, Noji? Hey, good. Thanks there, Kevin. Yeah, and uh, we've got an interesting topic tonight, ham radio. Now, what does ham radio have to do with prepping? A lot. You know, a lot of people have this mentality that I don't need a ham radio because I have cell phones or I have a cell phone or I have the Internet. Well, in a natural disaster, as we have seen over and over again, 
the cell phone towers go down, and the ham radios are still communicating, even if the repeaters go down, which we'll get into what a repeater is, even if the repeaters go down, you still uh, you still are able to communicate through simplex. Now, a repeater is something that hears a signal. Let's say generally the repeaters are at least in the Intermountain West, and many parts of the country are high on a mountaintop. And you can talk in your ham radio to the repeater. And if the repeater is set up in such a way, even if it is connected to the internet, if that internet connection goes down, hopefully you can still communicate on to the repeater and you can get to, you know, you can actually go about sometimes six, 700, well, I don't know, maybe two or 300 miles away. And you, if the repeater goes down, you can re talk into what's called simplex, which is just point to point communication without a repeater or transmitter. Anything you want to add to that, Noji? No, I think you're you're right about that. Um, uh, let me just tell you that my personal feeling is that when there is an emergency, that your number one go-to device should be your cell phone. But there are times when your cell phone can't um, be very ideal, like when we saw with uh, Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Katrina. At those times, uh, there was no cell phone because your little device is useless uh, without those towers. So ham radio can come in really handy then because it does not re depend on those towers. Even during 9-11, the cell phone towers went down in the New York area because a lot of the towers are on top of buildings. Now, let me ask you this, Noji, because this is something that I don't have an answer to. Actually, let me back up here. How long have you been a ham radio operator and what got you interested? Because I'll tell you my story after you tell me yours. Um, how long? Um, many years. <laughs> and it depends how you look at it, because I got licensed in 1970. Um, but that wasn't a continuous stream of years, because um, after a number of years, I let it lapse to, as I got into college and job and girls and cars and things. But uh, after uh, another length of time, I got back into ham radio and, and, and I'm uh, with a vengeance now. So yeah, okay. a long time. And what got you interested? Um, well, originally my grandfather got me interested because he was a ham and he sat me down. And he taught me everything he knew about electronics. At least it seemed like it because he really tried to get me involved in many electronic things. We set up crystal radios and little electronics projects. And eventually, you know, he helped me get my ham license. But uh, later on, I found a, I, we, my wife and I got back into ham radio because of um, um, our church does a, this trek, and we, um, we found it was really useful to set up a, a local uh, portable repeater to do this trek. And it saved a lot of people's um, time, a lot of traveling time, and, and it, we have had a few emergencies that would have taken hours to take care of and mitigate if it wasn't for radio, which we were able to take care of in seconds. Now you're talking about the Pioneer Trek? Correct. Now, for those of you that don't know, Noji and I happen to be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And some places, depending on the area, Noji's down in the Salt Lake area. I'm up here in Montana. But in some areas, they do what's called the Pioneer Trek. 
to give you just a brief history of the LDS Church. Hopefully this doesn't take too long. The pioneers went from Illinois to Salt Lake City. And what the church tries to do with the youth is tries to reenact this trek. Obviously, they're not going to do the whole entire trip, but we do own land up in Jackson, Wyoming, or near there, and people will go on that land. I'm not sure exactly how it works because I've never done it, but I understand there's a starting point and a finish point, and it's all on that land in Wyoming, correct? I've never done it, but I think that's how it's done. That's right. There's a 15-mile stretch there where we, ha- we um, actually walk. We're all on foot that mm-hmm. entire 15 miles. Okay. And so you're saying that you set up a repeater somewhere. I assume it's in the Wyoming area. Right. And you were able to communicate. Let's say somebody got their foot injured or something. You could just radio to somebody at the base there and say, so-and-so's foot injured is injured and I guess they can come with a car or something and pick up that person, correct? That's right. Okay. Now, because there's no cell signal out there at all. There's no cell towers, period. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a good point because there are some areas, believe it or not, that have no cell towers, especially here in Montana. You in fact, if I want to drive from here in Billings to Salt Lake, I have to go through Yellowstone. There is no cell service, and a ham radio would be great at times to talk to people. Now, Noji, answer this question for me. Oh, let me tell you how I got into ham radio real quick, and then we'll get right back into the topic. I was into ham radio at a young age, or I was interested. I was listening to, I lived in Ontario, Oregon, and... I was listening to a radio station out of Los Angeles at night on the AM band. And my dad came into my bedroom and asked what I was listening to. And I told him that I was listening to a station out of Los Angeles. And he said, you should be a ham radio operator. I asked, what's that? And he said, well, it's a radio where you can talk to people all over the world. Oh, and he said, well, we're not going to get you one yet. You got to get a little older. I was, uh, let's see, how old was I? I was uh, nine years old. And he said, when you get a little older, I'll get you one. And you can get to, you have to get a license and all that. Okay. Well, fast forward to 1992. I almost got my license, but I didn't uh, for various reasons. And I won't get into out here because it'd take too long. But in 2014, my bishop in the LDS church, called me and sat me down in his office and said, I need you to be a ham operator for the stake, which is an area that is combined of a whole bunch of wards. The wards is like a very local area and the stake is more of, I don't know how you describe a stake, but it's a bunch of wards combined. He said, I need you to be a ham operator for the stake. Okay. Well, this is something I wanted to do for a while, and now I'm pressured into it. But it was a good it was a good thing that I was pressured in, and that's how I got my license. And let me tell you, there are times where I'm glad that I had it because I went to a camp uh, for our church in the Uintas. And like Noji said, there's no cell phone service over there. And everything was fine, but if an emergency happened, I could have radioed in to somebody and hopefully gotten some help. So Noji, explain to me this, though. Why is it that the towers on the cell phones go down during an emergency like a hurricane when logic would tell me that there could be, there should be some towers high up on the mountaintop like there are repeaters 
how come the towers go down and the repeaters don't? I know that might sound like a dumb question, but I've tried to wrap my head around this. I'm sure the listeners are too. Oh, no, not a dumb question at all. So um, there are a few cell towers that are up on mountaintops and such. Um, and um, the problem with cell towers, though, is they get overloaded easily. And so if you have 10,000 people, for instance, that are in an emergency that are all trying to get on the cell phone, calling 911 or their friends or relatives, um, well, then the near nearby cell towers can actually go down and become overloaded. Um, in the, some of the hurricanes I mentioned, for instance, uh, cell towers were simply under underwater and they were inaccessible that way. But yeah, they can also, all their ta- calls can get rerouted to those ones on the mountains you mentioned. But if 10,000, you know, <laughs> try to reach the ones, you know, the very few that's on the mountaintops, they're going to be overloaded. It only takes about 18% um, load capacity to, for a cell tower to go down. Um, and yeah, they become pretty useless. Um, let me just say though, as a caveat or as a kind of a side note that, that even when the cell tower goes down and you can't access any, anybody through that way by voice, if you text somebody, chances are that text will go through even if your, your voice does not. So if your cell tower gets overloaded, you, you, even with, with the one on the mountain, you can still um, text and that many times will go through. You know, Do you know why hurricane, that is? Hurricane Katrina, um, it, it didn't. You know, they were, there were not, not enough uh, mountaintops nearby. But the reason that um, that text can go through is because of the low bandwidth that the text requires. Uh, the cell towers allow the, um, in order for, for it to communicate voice, it has to allocate a completely wide bandwidth to allow voice to do that. And when there's not enough bandwidth, it just says, it just gives up and says, sorry, can't communicate. And it won't, it just denies the service for the, for the voice. Um, but when a little tiny text with its, you know, what 500 Hertz bandwidth tries to come through, it just says, oh, oh we got bandwidth to cover that. Let's go ahead and let it through. And so then the, the, the service allows that. Yeah. And some will say, well, Kevin, that's why cell phone providers like Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile will come and uh, install towers on Colts and sales, which is trucks on wheels. And I can't remember what. Anyway, there's trucks on wheels. There's a whole bunch. Well, yeah, but during an emergency like Hurricane Katrina, it's going to take a while for the cell phone providers to get the tower, to get those temporary towers put up. And it's just easier to have a ham radio. Now, answer this for me. Isn't it possible to build a tower where you can increase the capacity from 10,000 to something, you know, maybe 30, 40,000 or not? Are we not there yet? So you're talking about a cell tower then? Yes. Oh, I have no idea. I'm not into the cell industry. I don't know their, their, um, everything about them. I only know what, what little I just shared with you. Okay. But the bottom line is, Noji's right. It take you know it, it takes about ten thousand people to overload a tower, and well, so I, the I, repeaters. I, I don't have the exact number, and, and they're all going to be different, you know. So yeah, that was just a, a, an arbitrary number to throw out. Yeah, but the bottom line is the repeaters are not going to get overloaded, and it, especially in the Intermountain West, they're high up on mountaintops, especially Utah, Idaho, Nevada. Now, and uh, you know, and then other places, they'll be isolated from the water. And then, like I said, you can do simplex. So, Noji, have you had an experience where you have actually used ham radios during emergencies? Because I know that there are 
organizations like Racy's and Aries, which we'll get into in a little bit, but have you ever had experience using a ham radio, whether it's, you know, a federal disaster, uh, you know, local disaster, or maybe your phone got turned off for who knows whatever reason. So you had to resort to resort to a ham radio. Well, um, kind of, um, it's not that I was involved in an emergency or, or affected by any, you know, natural disaster, but when we have an organization, um, well, a lot of people around the country do, but uh, we have an organization nearby that, um, that helps you get trained on how to handle an emergency and help out. And so when, when we had like um, the tank, hollow, sorry, <coughs> the tank hollow fire and the, the pole Creek fire, and there were several fires like up in Spanish Fort Canyon and by um, anyway, some, pla- some places here in Utah, then they would call me out and say, can you please help us out? Because we have no cell communication out here and we need uh, communication to be set up to help out the firemen and the police and so forth. I mean, the police have their own radios and so the fire and the EMS people, but their radios can only go so far and they can only in fact reach like, you know, a few city blocks. After that, if they're trying to get around mountains and hills and so forth, the only thing they left is ham radio. And so they called me out to help out. Well, not the only one. There were dozens of us that were called out to help out during that, those emergencies. And we set up our little radios and our stations and we were able to talk to each other and then talk to other stations that were. So we had like one that was with the police, one with the, with the fire, fire chief, one with the fire, uh, well, one with the fire battalion, another one with another battalion and so forth. And so these different ham radio stations were set with these fire and police people so that they can communicate. We relayed messages between all these services. Well, the thing that hit home to me when I was 16 years old, I was working at a cafeteria slash restaurant in Boise called the soda stop, which is now defunct, but it was actually at the bottom of the commission for the blind. And one day, It was a blazing hot afternoon. I think it was probably around, gosh, I want to say one o'clock in the afternoon, July 2nd, 1996. There was a huge power outage throughout the Northwest. I don't know if you remember that. It was a big deal. What's that? I don't remember that. Okay. And you may not have been affected where you were at, but it was a huge deal in Idaho, Oregon. I know it hit parts of Utah, but I'm not sure where, but. The thing that I remember the most about that is we were all evacuated from the building and rightfully so. And when I got out, I actually noticed that there were some people there that I knew personally that got out their ham radio. Now, I don't know if they were authorized to communicate in an emergency or if they were just trying to figure out what was going on, but I did hear them talking to some ham operators And I thought, this is kind of cool. Now, this is back before cell phones were as prevalent as they are now. We had cell phones in 96, yes, but not nearly as many people had them. And I thought, wow, this is kind of nice that uh, these guys are getting real-time information without having to turn on a radio. And that's what hit home to me. Now, there are some ham radio organizations out there. One of them is Amateur Radio Civil Emergency Services, also known as RACE. I, I think it's pronounced RACES, and they are outfitted by FEMA. And then there's another one called ARIES. 
And that stands for, I can't remember what it stands for. unless yeah, Amateur Radio Emergency Service. Okay. Amateur Radio Emergency Service. And they are outfitted by the American Radio Relay League, which is basically the advocate group for ham radio operators. They go back to Washington, D.C., and lobby to keep our frequencies and tell Congress and senators, tell our Congress and senators, listen, we need this or don't do this. And I get, have you had any experience with those groups? I know that you, I know that yeah, you had I'm that a experience. Member of all of those, yes. Okay. And uh, do you want to elaborate more on what those do, what those groups do exactly? Um, well, a little bit. So the, the, the group that was training us and getting us, calling us out to help out with those fire emergencies, that was Aries. And um, so I'm part of Aries down here in Utah County. Um, and they, they, you know, they organize us and they train you. Um, so they're not just going to throw you out to the dogs and leave you. Uh, we do our own training many times, but they'll, they'll also provide a lot of training on how to use the radio during an emergency, what kind of protocol to use. Um, how to do things quickly, what kind of equipment to stash and that sort of thing. But anyway, and then, um, and then races is a more of a state level thing. And, and it, um, so when you say, you know, that they're, that they're outfitted by, actually they, re, they rely on us individual citizens to outfit ourselves. Uh, they'll provide the training, but we provide the equipment. Uh, and races became being, being a state level thing. Um, we get trained on that level and we have, we have nets and so forth, but really um, we, their thing only becomes activated when the president of the United States activates the War Powers Emergency Act of 1954. Uh, when he does that, then that, that makes all amateur radio and the entire nation cease. And because, you know, the government wants to, you know, kind of control the communication and so forth that's happening. Um, and that ceases except for those who are members of RACES. And then we, all of our transmissions have to be done uh, for the purpose of RACES in, in behalf of the state or, or even the federal government. And we, we do that for emergency to um, relay information here and there throughout the state regarding you know, welfare, health and safety of the individuals and property and that sort of thing. Yeah, I wanna talk about an incident that happened during Hurricane Maria. And you may remember this, Noji. I actually did not know this until I did my research tonight. Did you know that a group of ham radio operators got together, uh, the amateur radio operators, the Red Cross, and the amateur radio suppliers got together and mobilized themselves here on the mainland to go to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. And so what they did is they communicated from Puerto Rico to the mainland. And by the way, they were their radios and power supplies were and, and dipole antennas, which is like, an, uh, well, I don't know if I should get too technical, but their antennas were all in a waterproof container and they got set up there on the island and they were communicating back here to the mainland to the red cross through hf frequencies which is high frequencies uh not vhf very high frequencies or uhf but hf high frequency they were communicating digitally back here with uh concerning information about the infrastructure 
such as the power plants and the homeless shelters, along with information about people's well-being, the welfare of other people. They were using both voice and data. I, I got the impression, though, that they were using mostly data, but the reason that they were using the HF frequencies is because that transmits very far. I don't want to get too technical here because we have all kinds of listeners, but to sum it all up, the HF frequencies transmit the furthest. The H, the VHF and UHF are the shortest distances. Now you can make those transmissions longer with repeaters, especially if they're linked up, but that's the just of it all. And I am sure that you've heard of other things like this, correct? Where they were communicating back to the mainland or wherever through HF. I assume they were probably using packet radio, correct? They were using packet radio and other modes too. So yep, yeah, they were, they were doing all that. Uh-huh. And it's amazing what you can do with all this technology without your cell phone and such. But I, I want to, uh, now, if you want to elaborate on this, you can. Um, you're doing a great job <laughs> saying it all, but um, yeah, you're right. If all that's true. Um, yeah, there's no need to get into any technical details about HF versus VHF. Just suffice it to say that people use amateur radio to um, communicate um, from you know Puerto Rico and to the different parts of the United States. In fact, and they were communicating to not just the nearest parts, which was like Florida, but but also way over into. Um, um, Kentucky and Ohio, where they were able to, to coordinate a lot of um, um, uh, relief effort. And so they, they wanted to find out, you know, what kind of equipment they had and what kind they can transport and where their airlifting places can be still used, you know, that runways weren't too crowded of, you know, trees and debris and such. And so they had all that information relayed so that they can land their planes full of supplies. And it took them well, some places were only about a week out. They were a week out without um, power and food and so forth, but some were as much as two weeks. And um, uh, because of the people who set up their amateur radio stations, uh, they, they were, since they could not use the commercial power, their commercial power was down in Puerto Rico. They had to use solar and, uh, um, and they relied heavily on solar power to um, get themselves up and running. And they had their power bank or battery banks and so forth with them. Um, so with that, they have just unlimited resource. They can communicate with people to coordinate the relief effort. No, well, that's so they actually commu uh, communicated then from Puerto Rico to Connecticut or Kentucky, Ohio, and probably a whole bunch of places. I would oh, imagine yeah, several places. Yes. By the way, uh, I re I'm researching this here as we're talking. It was actually the software that was being used that was hooked up to the radio, and I'm sure it got real sophisticated. I don't want to get too technical, but it was W-I-N-L-I. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but it's W-I-N-L-I, and it's a software that uses amateur radio frequencies to communicate. Again, I'm sure that there was, and it was communicating digitally and sending files through the you know, computer files through this method of communication. I'm sure that there is a radio and a computer attached, but again, I don't want to get too technical because it would bore many of the listeners out there. You go ahead and research it though. It's all on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it must be true, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, in this case it is true, but um, yeah. So I want to get into one of the aspects about prepping 
and ham radio specifically, since that's our conversation tonight, let's talk about linking repeaters up and the internet. Now, there is a group in the Intermountain West, and I've actually learned, I had forgotten all about this, there's a group here in Montana called MARLA, M-A-R-L-A, I can't remember what it stands for, but they have an inner an intertie system up here, similar to what you have down there in Utah, the Intermountain West intertie that links Boise clear down to Las Vegas and everywhere in between. You, I can actually tap into the Marla and hook myself up into the intertie down there in the Intermountain West. Now, I bring this up because there's a group of people that do not want these networks being on the internet, but I'm actually glad that there are people out there like that because we can learn from those people. And if the internet ever goes down, well, guess what? We still have the interlinking system, don't we? Assuming that nothing has gone wrong with the repeaters. Right. And some of these repeaters, many of them are linked not through the internet, but but direct link through um, through um, higher frequency. So like like through microwave uh, for instance, some of the intertie repeaters you mentioned are actually linked together through microwave directly without any internet at all. Yeah, and we need that. We need the we need that. Uh, I don't want to call it primitive, but for lack of a better, we need that primitive communication. And you know, I'm not saying internet communication is bad. In fact, I want to get to that here soon. But we need people like the VHF society down there in the Intermountain West down there in Utah specifically, because uh, like I said, we may not always have the internet, but having said that, let's talk about though, some of the internet ways that you can communicate and how you could actually use this during an actual emergency emergency, assuming that the internet is still hooked up. They, one of the systems out there, there's a bunch, but I want to talk about DM or DRM, digital radio, wait, DMR, digital mobile radio. Digital mobile radio is a, a repeater that's hooked up to the internet and it has a certain, I'm not sure how to explain this very well, but it's hooked up to the internet. It's had its own code, its own proprietary software. You have to buy a DMR-specific radio, again, digital mobile radio, or you can get a hotspot that will connect into the network. But the cool thing about that, though, is let's say that there is an earthquake in Utah, which there was back in 2020, almost two years ago, and somebody actually, I was talking to somebody who uses DMR, and he actually said that it was really neat because... Somebody tapped in uh, from back east, I believe, and asked if everything was okay in Salt Lake and what was vandalized, what wasn't. So that's definitely something that you could use during a natural disaster. Let's say you're in Iowa and a natural disaster happens in Utah, assuming that the Internet is still up and running where the natural disaster took place. You could tap into that DMR group or whatever group. There's a bunch of them out there and chat with those in that particular area where the disaster is, can't you? That's true, you can. And, and there, are, there are two different ways to look at digital radio, okay? And the one you mentioned, like DMR, is it requires the, the digital ability on both your radio and on the repeater. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas 
there are some um, methods that require just a repeater. So if you have a repeater um, that does um, like, for instance, IRLP or Echolink, then you can just go through the repeater with any old radio uh, that doesn't support any digital at all. And the repeater itself then can um, do all the digital uh, work itself. So, so yeah, and then with DMR, you know, it's not available in all parts of the country. Um, so that's why there are several different um, digital types that your radio can support, you know, depending on the radio you get. DMR is one of them. Yeah. And there's a bunch, yeah, there's Fusion, there's D-Star, there's a whole bunch of them. And I'm not going to go into the differences between them all because I don't even know the different the differences between all of them and I don't want to get too technical and fear of alienating the listeners here, but it's a really neat way to tap in and find out what's happening in your area real quick without trying to get information off the radio or as good as it is to get information off the internet. Sometimes it's better to communicate with people that are there, isn't it? Well, here's a question for you then, Kevin. Go ahead. So if, um, let's say the internet did go down and you had uh, no communication with your repeaters and such, um, can you still do digital communication with um, somebody that's, you know, across the country? I don't believe, well, I guess theoretically you could, if you knew how to link all the repeaters up from your radio, or you could actually physically go out to the repeaters and link them up. I, I'm not sure. I, I suppose you could if you well, do what you that, were doing. I'll take that as a no. Okay. No, I, I'm going to say yeah, no. So it, that's okay. Um, and uh, most people really don't understand how that works, but um, you know, about um, when the, when the internet really is down and um, the, there is not any repeaters available because many parts of the country, you're just going to find their repeaters are just not that available. Um, but what you can do is actually do, like you mentioned that example with Puerto Rico, what they did was on HF, they sent set up in, um, an information grid with other stations directly without any internet or anything using PSK31. And with that digital protocol, they can send not just your voice, but also pictures and texts and, and, and anything you like. Um, and um, that was really a, a quite a, quite a nice little setup to do that. So PSK31 is a way to do that. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about tonight or have I covered everything as far as natural disasters and communication and such? Well, I just hope we don't have one. Oh, let's hope not either. But the way the world is going, who knows? Well, you know, and the one thing I want to say, though, is that I think people should be prepared and I like to think that our family is like, you know, prepared to an extent, but I don't want people to feel like they have to rush out and um, buy all this equipment just to satisfy a preparation requirement. Um, they should just get into it by degrees, little by little and learn about how to do things. And, and, and also ham radio is not like a radio. You can pick up like a cell phone and instantly know what you're doing. It takes training. It takes practice to do ham radio correctly. And if you don't, if you get a license and then put your ham radio or buy a ham radio and then put it away and never use it until the disaster, then when the disaster comes, you pull this little thing out and you kind of look at the front and go, what the heck are all these buttons for? How do you use this thing? And suddenly your, your license and your little toy is useless. 
Yeah. You know, there's one thing. Yeah, you have a good point. In fact, it might be a good idea to practice to pour, program in frequencies once a week. But you're right. No, you don't buy all this equipment at once. Gosh, I have a technician license. I've been a ham radio operator since July 14th or no, since July 31st, 2014. I still don't have a general license. A lot of it's because I just don't have the money to get equipment where I live. I can't even uh, get all the equipment that I want. So, yeah, you're right. Don't spend all this money and go into debt. Uh, you know, start little by little. But I want to talk about something else real quick since we're on the topic of ham radio. What if you don't want to get a ham radio, but you want to get something where you don't have to study like a GMRS license? What is your opinion on that? Well, that'll work for you. You know, GMRS um, unfortunately has signals that can only go so far and, um, you know, um, there are GMRS repeaters, but they're very, very few. And I don't know any that are um, using digital. So GMRS, um, well, even GMRS requires a license, um, but still yeah. that will, that's a very big compromise compared with ham radio. Um, any other, um, there are license-free uh, radios that you can do like um, FRS, which is a family radio service. That's a, that's a little bubble wrap walkie-talkie you can get at Costco. Um, also, there's MURS, a little bit higher up. Um, you can pick up those kinds of radios at like an Army-Navy store or at Home Depot um, or CB. And those things are all, you know, license-free. But again, they are very low power, and they won't allow you to talk beyond just a few city blocks. So um, compared with ham radio, they're very, very limited. Ham radio, without the internet, without any support, you can still talk to people around the world. Yes. And by the way, a side note, if you get a CB, don't be one of those people that gets a linear and doesn't know how to use it. First of all, they're illegal. But second of all, I've heard a lot of people getting these linears or amplifiers try to crank up the signal and it sounds terrible. Don't do that. Just get a, I think Noji's right. Just get a ham radio. Yeah. Just get your license and and feel free to contact me if you, you know, ever, ever want to learn how to get your license. And, and I make it really easy for you. I teach classes and our classes are hands-on and it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Now you're down where in uh, the Provo area? Yes. I, I live in Orem. So I okay. teach classes in Orem, which is just North of Provo, South of Salt Lake city, about 40, 40 miles ish. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give out your email address? If somebody has questions, they can email you. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, my email address is um, Noji rats. That's N O J I R A T Z. That's a Z yep. in English um, at hotmail. So N O J R A T Z at hotmail. Yep. All and right. Well, uh, do you have anything else that you want to add to the conversation? Just that my name is Noji, N-O-J-I. There you go. All right. Well, I uh, well, I will talk to you all later, folks. Thank you for listening to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. If you have a recommendation or suggestion, email Kevin Williams at canningplus7 at protonmail.com. Remember, when emailing him, the plus is spelled out instead of the plus sign. You can also check him out at Facebook at Canning Plus 7. 
That's canning plus seven with the plus symbol instead of the word plus on the canning plus seven Facebook page. 